0: Welcome and happy Friday. This is Travelog, the podcast of Condé Nast Traveler, and I'm here in the Condé Nast podcast studios with Meredith Carey, Lale Arakoglu, Aaron Florio, and Laura Redman, all of whom are editors for Traveler and all of whom are podcast regulars. So this is an all-star crowd today. My name is Brad Rickman, and I want to say happy holidays, Merry Christmas, Happy New Year, whatever your thing is. We haven't seen you since uh, December. You've heard podcast that we pre-recorded and played back, including Women Who Travel, the first episode of Women Who Travel. We'll talk more about that maybe at the end, which is your incentive to stay. This is our final episode taping in 2017, and it's been one hell of a year. 2017 was one hell of a year. From the traveler perspective, there were some really great things that happened. Laura had a baby.
1: Yay! Boop, 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 Yay. Cheers! And now I'm drinking again. <laughs> cheers, guys. Happy New Year.
0: <laughs> 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 um, Corey had a baby. It's just babies everywhere.
1: <laughs> Brett had a baby.
0: Brett had hey, <laughs> a baby.
1: Brett. Our engineer, good job. You can't hear him, but he's watching.
0: <laughs> Spectating. Uh, Meredith and Lale launched the Women Who Travel podcast, which you heard last week. We celebrated Traveler's 30th anniversary. That was a lot of fun and went on for months and months and months, the longest <laughs> birthday party ever. And Travelog celebrated its 100th episode and our two-year anniversary. So those were all fun things. There were many others. We produced a ton of really awesome content. Hate that word, content. We wrote a lot of great stuff, took a lot of great pictures, uh, made a lot of great stories. There are also some less great things, we won't spend too much time on these, but travel ban, Return to restrictions of on travel to Cuba, which was a bummer for those of us who have been and who have been encouraging people to go. The depletion of the State Department, which is a key resource for US travelers around the world. That's kind of a drag. Don't really know where it's going, but it doesn't seem promising. Withdrawal from the Paris Climate Accords, of course, worsening relations with North Korea, Europe, Mexico, Australia, even oh my Great God. Britain. Brad! It's, it's I was feeling you ba- in such a good mood before. <laughs> <laughs> You're bumming me out. <laughs> None of those have material consequences yet, but there are, con- you know, it's just one of those things where you want to keep an eye on it, see what's going to happen. There might be impact on travelers, um, visas, things like that. But our topic for the week is leaving all that behind and looking forward to the new year. Um, We're going to talk about where you should be going in 2018. This is a story that we do every year. It is the result of much debate and discussion amongst uh, people on the staff. We sort of get together and throw out a bunch of different ideas, debate them, and then decide. And I thought it might be nice to give people a sense of what the criteria are. How did these places get on this list?
1: You're right that we definitely debate because we only include 18 places. We we up the list one every year. You know, 18 in 2018. So 2041 is
2: going to be a real struggle. Yeah, it's going to be rough.
1: (laughs) But there are a lot of lists like this out there, right? And uh, I'm not going to name names, but some are much bigger. And that feels like a gluttony of choice. We don't need those many choices. I kind of want, you know, as an editor of this package, I want. To hone that list and have a reasonable number that I can choose from, right? Because and then you might actually be able to hit feasibly a in couple, a year, right? Yeah. I mean, because at the end of the day, remember, Americans aren't taking vacation. If they're taking one two-week vacation, that's exciting. So we are looking for places that. We call it having a moment in the office, and it basically means that there is a lot of energy around a location. Uh, Maybe they're celebrating an anniversary like New Orleans, which, Mayor I think you'll be talking about in a bit. It's turning 300 in 2018. Happy birthday, Nola. Happy birthday. (laughs) And um, maybe there's a lot of new hotels opening somewhere. Maybe there's new flights heading that way, but there's energy again behind these locations and these are places that we want to go you know we're not just getting some press releases and talking about them like these are on our list and for me i have about four on this list i may make it to one this year and i think there are
2: also places that when we looked at where you know our like most adventurous friends or other editors in the office or this happened to me like i was looking at instagram um in i don't know september and i had five friends none of whom knew each other and who were all separately in malta to like just there at the same time, and I was like, "When when did this happen?" Right. Um, and I think that also, like, that's the having a moment factor,
1: which is that we suddenly are like, "Oh wait, this is on my list, and I want to go now before right. everyone else does." That's a great point. I mean, you remember when Iceland was in everyone's Instagram feeds? It might have been a year still, or two ago. Still mm-hmm. happening. We we can talk about <laughs> what's the next Iceland, right? And um, we're gonna. I, I don't think know. we called
0: it somewhere in here, right?
1: We did. I think we called Azores the Azores, the next Iceland. I think we did. Um, That was a place that Sebastian Modak on our team just wrote a nice long feature about, well, today, time travel, whatever, (laughs) December. And um, it's this archipelago of islands nine volcanic islands off the coast of Portugal, kind of in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean.
2: Yeah, off the coast of Portugal makes it sound like it's like nearby. shuttle.
0: It's
1: like
3: the Canaries being close to Spain is right. kind of
1: saying <laughs> that the Azores yeah. are close to Portugal, which yeah. is not at all. It's like halfway between <laughs> us and, and like the US and yeah. Portugal. Exactly. So they are in the middle of the ocean. Not a lot of direct flights there, except for Azores Airlines, until next year, until May. I think it's March, actually. Oh, did they bump it up? Delta, or is it May? I'm sorry. Delta. Yeah. Oh. Yep. Delta's going to start flying direct from JFK because right now there's little diasporas of Azorians. I love that Seb found this out <laughs> um, in Boston and Oakland. So there are flights from there, and you. It's can- May,
0: by the way. I checked Seb's. I checked Seb's notes.
1: All right. Well. Maybe we can convince Delta to bump it up March. Well, yeah, stay tuned. Maybe we'll come earlier.
3: Everyone wants to go.
1: Right. So starting in May, it's going to be maybe like a five and a half hour flight from JFK to this beautiful set of islands that are basically Eden without the tourists. Um, there's you know, volcanic craters and lakes. You can go mountain biking. You can go canyoning. It's kind of an adventurer's paradise. I am psyched to go. That's where I want to go. Make yeah, sure. you
3: know what's funny? It's like I sort of wonder, like, all of a sudden, the discovery of the Azores what's that going to do to like New Zealand tourism? Because all of a sudden, people now have this like New Zealand esque place that's five hours away. Totally, you know what I mean? It's, it it's, it it's actually like solves a problem for a lot of travelers, but
1: also, you know, it's like. A push-pull effect. Poor New Zealand. Yeah. Aaron is from New
0: Zealand. Well, it, it has a special place though. in my heart. Has New Zealand been getting a little overrun? Is it time for oh, a release? Sure. I mean, I was just kidding. but <laughs>
1: <laughs> It was on our list last year, New Zealand, because again, flights, right? Openings, you yeah, read about yeah, it. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Um, it does look a lot like the landscape of the South Island of New Zealand, just from photos I've seen compared to the places I've seen. But it's definitely not as mountainous.
3: But I think that's the appeal also of, I, I think initially of Iceland and also something like the Azores where it has that quality where it feels like you've traveled so far to escape everything, yet it's so accessible. It's like you don't need to go to Patagonia or to New Zealand to escape the world.
1: You know, like these are the places to do that in that are right at your doorstep, essentially. You could do it in a long weekend when you think about that. I mean, you're which not pulling what, off. Which is what Seb did. Right,
0: right. Yeah, he did, did. Yeah. Five I mean, days. Yeah.
4: Yeah. And it's you can really also a long
0: weekend. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's a f- super four?
4: long. <laughs> you yeah, yeah, four. Well, you well, could do in four. The flight's quicker than it is to California, right? Yeah. 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 It's like 4 hours or something. Yeah. Yep. And
1: that was the part of the appeal of Iceland, right? You know, it's a Totally. What? 5-6 hours flight It's a 5-hour
3: flight from JFK.
1: So that I mean, think about that. You can also tack on a trip to Lisbon because it is part of Portugal. So you your next big city is Lisbon and I don't know, make a week out of it. Go to Lisbon for a few days and then go jump off a cliff or something in <laughs> the Azores.
0: Don't, don't really jump off a cliff with or a or at bungee. Maybe, yeah, attached <laughs> to something. Bungee. Do oh <laughs> yeah. And a professional. We just want to be clear we're not <laughs> recommending that you jump off cliffs without uh, proper safety <laughs> appurtenances.
1: <laughs> Where else? Where else are you guys excited to go?
0: This is far away, but really far away. Antarctica. Oh.
3: Yeah, yeah, I mean, I think that the, the reason why Antarctica is on all these lists is because there are finally, um, uh, not infrastructure, but there are finally, Tour operators and companies that are bringing more and more commercial travelers into Antarctica it was so hard to reach um, in the past because there were such limited expeditions going in, but that's becoming um, easier to do and easier to pull off. And frankly, in this world we live in, where everyone is sort of everyone sort of fancies themselves quite well traveled, so we need more of the Antarcticas. We need more of those places to sort of help satiate our sort of desire to go to the next new place. So it's actually, I think it like works really nicely for the way people are traveling now. But there's (laughs) an inherent
0: tension there too, right? Because going to, the the only way to get there is by boat, right, or plane. And so your carbon footprint is pretty intense when you're doing that.
4: But they hyper control that, right? And also to counterpoint that, we also today, time travel again, (laughs) um, (laughs) rounded up our favorite stories of 2017. And one of mine was again, Seb's piece, where he interviewed Paul Nicklin, the photographer, who, if you were following the news recently, he was the photographer who took the picture of the starving polar bear, who um, this bear couldn't find food because all the ice is melting. And in it, Paul Nicklin says that it's hard to make people care about a place if they've never seen it, and how do you make them fall in love and want to protect it? And so, mm. yeah, you're creating a carbon footprint, but also you're Be creating sho- awareness. Yeah, and you're educating people and you're showing people this place that seems so foreign and so far away that, you know, as you're not doing a recycling or getting in your car um, when you don't need to, you're not really thinking about it. But perhaps the more people see these places, the more they'll want to protect them.
2: And that's also a reason why the Great Barrier Reef is on the list this year. You know, the same thing, which is that you know, there are all these articles coming out that are like, oh, the Reef is dead, or it's dying, and there's, you know, it makes it it sound like there's no reason. But there have been these back-to-back, like, giant coral bleaching events that have affected most of the coral in the ocean, Mm -hmm. off of Hawaii, um, off of Australia, and those kind of ruined and killed, or are in the process of killing a large swath of the coral that exists. But those have stopped, so that's giving time for wildlife regeneration, right? Um, but it also, again, it's kind of the same thing, which is that you know there's this documentary on Netflix called Chasing Coral, which everyone should watch. Um, but a lot of it talks about the fact that you know once you see
1: it, you're suddenly like, oh my gosh, this beautiful thing like cannot die. And we can be its best ambassadors, right? right? It's best advocates if we have the opportunity to go in a in a sustainably driven way. Like a lot of the Antarctica trips run by um I think Abercrombie and Kent, yeah, Charters and, and Lindblad, yeah. Right? And Lindblad. lynn mm-hmm. Okay. Um and they have clean ship certified vessels
0: yeah this is a tip for people if you do look into a trip to antarctica look for a clean ship certification because it means that they are more fuel efficient and you're reducing your carbon footprint
2: right and spending your tourist dollars with these programs or with you know tour operators who might give back or you know in somewhere like australia like a community that is so dedicated to this reef in really positive ways, you, in the long run, are helping fund research efforts or helping fund protection, or again, like just bringing awareness um, to places that should exist and can exist if we pay enough attention to them.
0: It's I, I think Star Wars yet again. Uh, <laughs> last <laughs> jedi provides provides guidance for us here. <laughs> It's about saving the things we love, <laughs> not destroying the things we hate.
2: Uh, can we tell that Brad just saw Star Wars?
0: <laughs> Everybody here just saw yeah. Star Wars. I, I, have
2: I definitely no. have not. I've not <laughs> seen a single Star
3: Wars. Well, I just, <laughs> no. I just solved it for you. Yeah. You're all set now. Sums, sums it right up.
0: So obviously, we try to balance this list, or do we try to balance this list between places people might know but need to take a fresh look at and places that we think people aren't really thinking about. And you guys talked about New Orleans. New Orleans is a place that obviously is a favorite destination, but there's the 300th anniversary. What else is going on there this year, Meredith, that warrants uh, putting it on our list?
2: Um, I think that there's so much more to New Orleans than I think the average person thinks about. I think you think about Mardi Gras you think about Mardi Gras and you probably think about jazz and then Mardi Gras again.
0: (laughs) Maybe jazz fest. Right. You know Bourbon Street and nothing else. No,
2: exactly. And I think that a lot of people don't leave. Um, Just the French Quarter in general, right? Right, exactly. So when Lauren DiCarlo went, uh, she's another editor here, um, kind of on a fact-finding mission earlier this year, and I also went um, over the summer, it was just so exciting to see so many restaurants that have some incredible food. I went to this restaurant on the suggestion of this woman who I ran into at a store who I was like, we don't know what we're doing for lunch, so can you tell us what to do? Um, She was like, there's this place called Turkey and the Wolf that's like elevated stoner food. I was (laughs) like, I don't know what that means, but I'll go. And it was, One of the best meals, I had a wedge. This is going to sound so bizarre, but I had a wedge salad the size of my face. (laughs) And it was so amazing. We had sandwiches. It's like you get little dinosaurs on your number. And then, like, lo and behold, Bon Appetit's, like, best new restaurants of 2017 comes out. And Turkey and the Wolf is one of the top ones. Um, So I think, like, everything, something is seemingly innocent or you know, bizarre or like hole in the Wally as an elevated stoner food restaurant, like has some of the best food I've ever eaten. And then you like go to Seaworthy and you have like some incredible upscale meal. It's from the same people who did Grand Banks and they work with the Ace Hotel there. And it's just everything is good.
3: Everything is good. Yeah. And I think there's this thing about New Orleans where they kind of tap into every sort of Facet of yourself that you want to indulge, and they do it really well. And they also do it in a very sort of subtle and unassuming way. Like, they're not screaming, you know, for the attention. Um, They're not screaming for people to pay attention to what it is they're doing. They do it and they do it well, and you come across it and you kind of get seduced by it as well. Like, I think like New Orleans is like the ultimate seduction city of the South.
2: I think it's one of those places that once you go, you're like, okay, I'm
1: going to come back every single year. And you have to go with an appetite. I mean, you have to be voracious about the city in general. You have to consume all the music you can, all There's the food, s- all the art. It's really hedonistic.
2: And yeah. I think that that it like lends itself to the long weekend so well, because you know you're never going to hit everything in New Orleans. You just can't. Like, it's not possible. You can't eat five dinners a night, and you can't drink at every bar, and you can't see every incredible jazz musician. You can't see every amazing artist. So you just have to go back a lot maybe three days at a time.
0: I feel like there are two things that, you know, New Orleans has this limitless ability to reinvent itself culinarily, Mm -hmm. right? Like it's gone through three, I think, three food renaissances in my lifetime, or at least my adult lifetime. And this most recent one is easily one of the most interesting because I feel like it's going farther afield. There's like more creativity and more kind of craziness going on. But I also feel like the art scene there, you know, um, has had, a lot of energy of late, which is, you know, certainly in its past it's had things like that. But I think that's even more fresh than kind of like the fact that there's a new food scene there.
2: Yeah. Right. And if you get our first issue of the year, um, Lauren DeCarle's, like Black Book Guide to New Orleans is in it. But she has a perfect day with this artist whose name is Brandon Odoms. You've probably seen his giant portraits that are at his studio called Studio B. He took over this whole warehouse and painted all the sides with these beautiful portraits. Of African American faces, and some of his most powerful pieces show people like Trayvon Martin and Mike Brown and Eric Gardner holding these mm-hmm. signs carried by civil rights activists. I just think there's like this power to what people are doing there, and and the community is responding in this like incredible, like uplifting way that makes everyone else want to pay attention.
0: Yeah, that felt like a reason to go in the same way that like Wynwood Walls is a, is a reason, a reason to, to go to, go. to exactly. Miami. Mm-hmm. It's just you can't see that anywhere else. It's right. really remarkable. Um, what about I'm curious about Bratislava in Slovakia.
1: So Bratislava was one of Catherine's. At she was a big advocate for this. Um, just basically making the argument that Czechoslovakia split in two, and we know the Czech part really well, but not Slovakia, and it's just as beautiful as what we know. Um, there are, you know, the lakes, the picturesque, almost medieval towns. Um, She did a road trip, I believe, of Eastern Europe for her honeymoon last year. And these places, this Montenegro, were high on her list. Also, if you want to drink wine, this region is also great for that kind of travel right now. And
2: I think judging from her conversations with all of us when she got back, you know, it's one of those places that like your friends haven't been yet. So if you want to go somewhere that's not super overrun with tourists, where you can actually feel like you're like actually understanding what the place is about, it might be the time to go now rather than later
0: yeah the wine that she recommended particularly is tokai wine so mm-hmm. she had a really good experience with that
1: wow spell that one how'd you pronounce that
0: <laughs> uh t-o-k-a-j
1: okay good I, I, i'm
0: probably saying it wrong <laughs> tweet at us tell if me you have how a phonetic wrong spelling of that <laughs> let us know <laughs> phonetic Spelling of, but also a really great art museum the mulenstein art museum And I was particularly curious about the blue church that she mentioned, Um, 50 Shades of Blue.
1: Well, you know what, too? It's also an hour's drive from Vienna. I did Vienna last year, Mm -hmm. and I just wanted to hop a train and just shuttle between like Budapest, Prague. Now I'm going to add this to my list. I had no idea. An hour to get to like an 18th century old town in the winter when every single one of these old towns looks like the Mm -hmm. most like twinkly, gorgeous, Christmassy place on Earth. Yes, I'm in.
0: Yeah. We're going to talk more about this next year, but I feel like it's part of this. Redefinition of the European vacation—that's that's kind of happening—and and, and uh, really interesting. South Korea, y'all, the Olympics are coming.
3: Oh yeah, I mean, <laughs> if ever there was a reason to go, it would be for the Olympics. Wait, um, Winter
1: Olympics, though.
0: Yeah, too. the
3: Winter
1: Olympics. So here's let's elephant in the room, right? Uh, people are worried about going to Korea. Period. They think that there's you know one half of the country is going to bomb the other half and bomb half of us. It feels tenuous, but we put it on our list because we are prepared to say, ignore that. It's Aaron. I mean, like,
0: well, you know who's ignoring that every day? People in South Korea. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right. In yeah. Japan, who are right next. Kicking door. it like, like they've been dealing with this for fifty years. So I don't know.
1: So the, part of the reason I don't know, Aaron. You and I talked about this a fair bit because we're working on a package for the Winter Olympics as well. I mean, why do you ignore it? Like, what's happening in Seoul right now that it's worth? Noting, I don't think it's a matter of ignoring it. I
3: think it's a matter of feeling confident about the way it's being dealt with. And like Brad said, I think it's getting more coverage at the moment, but I don't think that the tension, the, the sort of tension between the two are any higher now than they have been at other points in the 50 years. I do trust the way that our intelligence handles the situation. I mean, you know, we all think you should feel comfortable going. I would say it's a perfectly safe place or or rather I would counter that unfortunately and say where in the world isn't a little bit unsafe at this point Um, but you know I think the Olympics is going to be, I think it's going to they're going to do a terrific job. I actually went to the Seoul Olympics when I was very, very little, the Summer Olympics. I think they're going to do a terrific job with these Winter Olympics. Um, South Korea really understands that they're the, sort of the world is watching. And they've really done a lot to invest in these Olympics, to make sure that people have a great time not only in Seoul, which is an amazing city. I mean, if you want to skip Tokyo and go straight to Seoul, I wouldn't even debate you doing that. It's it's got so much to offer.
0: I don't know if it was you, but somebody sort of posited that Seoul is emerging as the new Tokyo, as this kind of like center of gravity in northern Asia.
3: I have heard that, but I would say it's not emerging as the new Tokyo. I would say Seoul's finally coming into its own and people are recognizing it for what it is. And I think it has its own merits and doesn't need to be displacing Tokyo. Uh, Everybody knows the food is fantastic. The shopping is great. The beauty is great. Um, It's also easy. It's easy in terms of big, scary, intimidating, Asian Asian cities. There's a lot more English spoken, purely because of the American influence in the military base there. It's easy to get around, efficient trains. But outside of Seoul, the country's really pushing these other destinations. I mean, if you go around a room and you say, OK, uh, beyond Seoul, name like one place in Korea, nobody can answer that question. Um, so they're really taking the Olympics as an opportunity to get people out of Seoul and into other parts. So
2: I wrote a story a couple of weeks ago about like the most popular destinations that are coming up in 2018 on Airbnb. So it was like looking back at all the places in the last year where bookings have increased dramatically in any way. The first city had an increase of over 2,000% in bookings. So that means 2,000 more people booked this year either for this year or next year, than in 2016. Mm-hmm. It is the Olympic city that's hosting men's hockey, curling, speed skating, and figure skating. <laughs> the second most popular city only saw a growth of 300%. So that doesn't tell you, like people are looking outside of Seoul, they're going to yeah. those places. Um, what is that? And everything. so
0: that's not Pyeongchang? Or no,
1: it? it's not. Um,
0: Which is officially where the Olympics are taking place. Uh, right? We're
1: gonna say Gyeongyeong. Oh, Gongyang? Gongyang. Mm-hmm. Did yeah. I get that? There you go. Gang yang. Gang yang. I think. Seems right.
2: Uh, again, phonetic pronunciation, uh, spelling. <laughs> Anybody just let us know on Twitter? <laughs> yes, please do. Um, <laughs> no, but I think like, you know, that to me, I you know ran into Eldir's office and was like, look at this crazy thing. Um because <laughs> so, probably because they have no hotels in key <laughs> <laughs> But
4: like look at this <laughs> like kidding. really creative yeah.
2: way that people are getting sure. around it. And obviously going to the Olympics in droves. Yeah. Well,
4: I also noticed in our Women Who Travel Facebook group, to your point earlier about sort of suddenly you see like five of your friends all in Malta at the same time. I noticed just this week a whole load of posts about going to South Korea and going to Seoul. And one person asked you know, whether they should go there next year. And within the comments, it was really a resounding yes. Um, People seemed excited. It was something that people were talking about. And it's obviously on people, radars outside of the travel editor world.
1: And you, you think about it. If anyone's going to do the Olympics well, it's South Korea, it's, it's, it's the Seoul area. Tokyo is going to kill it, too, when they finally do it. Um, yeah. I, these are machines. They are going to do it like, spectacularly. Yeah,
3: they're going to do a great
1: job. Right. Mm-hmm. But OK, so these are also still kind of like far-flung, adventurous, aside from New Orleans, um, which is definitely adventurous. But <laughs> what about something like the Bahamas? You know, that's Yeah. Well, we all want
3: to give the Caribbean some love. They've had a rough year. They had a rough 2017 with the hurricane season. Uh, The Bahamas has a lot of interesting stuff happening. I was recently there. I stayed at a fabulous new hotel, the SLS, which is part of the Bahamar Complex, which is outside of Nassau. Um, It was wonderful. And I mean, not only was the hotel, it was like the best version of a Caribbean beachside resort that you can imagine. I mean it wasn't an all inclusive, but it had, you know, great restaurants, really tasteful bars, tasteful swimming It was just it was it was very well done. But better than that, it was just so easy. Like pulling it off was so easy. Getting to Nassau was so easy. I was on the plane for, you know, I was on JetBlue watching you know cable TV, which I don't even have at my own house in New York. Um, and I landed in two and a half hours. But there are flights that go in direct to Nassau from Dallas, from Philadelphia, from a lot of different cities um, in the US. And it was just the easiest way to pull off like a three-day beach vacation. And I was sitting there at this
1: resort thinking I
3: would definitely
1: come back. It's high season for a good part of the Caribbean right now. Admittedly, the Bahamas are in the northernmost part. Some people don't even think. It's part of the Caribbean, but we collectively kind of equate it yeah, as part of the yeah, in the northern Caribbean, the northern Caribbean. And I mean, it, go now; they need our tourism. Mm-hmm. I, I spoke with a number of tourist agencies for different islands across the Caribbean right after hurricane after hurricane after hurricane hit them this fall, and tourism dollars are going to save them. And I think that it it is everyone's understanding general, like just if you want to generalize
2: it, like you imagine like the whole Caribbean is shut down because of the hurricanes, but that's not true. The Bahamas weren't severely hit by the hurricane. There are lots of other islands that weren't. Um, You can kind of check into like a guide to what's open and what's not on our website. But I think that, you know, if you were thinking, oh, I don't know if I should go, because I don't know if they're, you know, ready yet. Like there, there are so many islands that are ready. They,
3: they weren't hit, but they're taking a hit as a result and like that's happening throughout the Caribbean. So don't, don't dismiss the entire Caribbean. Let the places that still need to, you know, get some development happening, let them, let them sort that out. But, but there are plenty of places like Meredith said that are open and ready for business and they, they need your business.
0: All right. So sticking domestic or going back domestic here, Minneapolis.
2: Minneapolis is actually another one of those places that I feel like I saw so many people there, which I thought was really, I, it surprised me when I was like, oh, look at all my friends going to <laughs> Minneapolis. <laughs> year. But your friends
3: means- just always traveling, Meredith.
0: Yeah. But I, it was never
3: people
2: that I expected. No, it was really, like, it was very interesting. Meredith, if your
0: friends jumped off a bridge. Would you jump off a bridge?
2: <laughs> um, have I done that before? I have,
1: oh. <laughs> in Ecuador. Um, shout out to Katie. Um, the Minneapolis is where Catherine is right now. She said that it's going to be a high of one tomorrow. <laughs> so admittedly Minnesota in yeah, the winter. Yeah this is that this to your summer no, travel. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Not in the winter perhaps. But I mean it. look I used to cover arts and culture for another magazine and it, it is one of the best theater cities in the country. Like local regional theater productions across the board are fantastic and so it's been known as a hub for that for a long time. But I think it's food scene is picking up in a big way. There's what something like thirteen James Beard nominated restaurants in that city alone,
2: and there are also like so many refugee and immigrant populations that live in Minneapolis as well that it has like impacted. Like you're not going up there to like eat like whatever I don't know Midwestern food. Like you're going up there you're to eat to the all some, of, like they have like, like the, the Somali food. Like you're outside. going like small, for yeah. this incredible food that you probably couldn't find well in a lot of other major U.S. cities, let alone in the Midwest.
0: So you guys didn't put it on here because of the Super Bowl? Is that what you're saying?
1: I mean, yes, the Super Bowl. Does anyone here know what the Super Bowl is? Yes. No. <laughs> know like, what it is or when it is? Know what it is. Our <laughs> office. If you ask our office, it's not a sporty crowd. <laughs> the the amount a of people involved. here that are
3: like, but I didn't grow up in America. I'm not supposed to know it. Even like, I know it. Is. <laughs> like,
2: no, but I. I mean, I no. think that the point that we were trying to make and putting it on the list here. This year was that like there are so many reasons to go that aren't the Super Bowl. Like yes, you could go for the Super Bowl, but if you go for the Super Bowl, you're probably not going to be doing a lot in Minneapolis. You're going to be tailgating. You're going to be watching the game. Um, you're probably not going to the Prince Museum an hour outside. Right. Or so I think long. you should like give yourself time to actually like go do Minneapolis, not necessarily the same weekend you go watch two teams
1: beat each other up. Agreed.
0: It is the era of the of the sort of mid sized American city, right? Yeah. Like so.
1: We talked about Indianapolis, I believe, last year. Mm-hmm. We did. And I mean, Chicago is one of the best. That's not mid sized; it's huge. <laughs> but it has probably, up, you know, we're New Yorkers. We may say New York has some of the best food, but I'd argue that Chicago does. And I think if you are
2: thinking about a city that's accessible to pretty much everyone in the U.S., like flights mm-hmm. there are going to be easy and not super long from both coasts. From the south, like you are going to just be kind of. Meeting in the middle.
1: Right. Just wait till summer, though. Otherwise, you're going to be stuck there. (laughs) so
2: (laughs) cold.
0: So one of the places that I'm really curious about is Petra Jordan. And this is not, you know, I think Jordan is not one of those places that rises to the top of people's consideration set when they're they're thinking about even Middle Eastern travel, right? Um, The State Department has placed a warning on travel to Jordan. We've talked before about what warnings mean versus alerts and those kinds of things. So we don't necessarily need to go into that. But I'm curious. I see pictures and I feel like that is a place on earth I really need to go.
4: Yeah, so, um, I mean, we won't go, as you said, we won't go into travel warnings too deeply, but um, just to give it some perspective, the travel warning that's placed on Jordan is mostly to do with its neighbors, which includes Syria and Iraq. And also the, the warning is quite similar to what's been placed on countries like Germany. I mean, if you go on the State Department's website, There's a travel warning on almost every.
2: And there's one that's covering like the whole
0: world,
3: which is just a general, again, like just practice. And frankly, America is on the warning right. le- side for other governments, right. so put into perspective.
0: Yeah, I feel like we need a little—somebody at the State Department needs to read The Boy Who Cried Wolf. Like, <laughs> oh,
1: they have a new system, though. I mean, we can mm. talk about it in another podcast, but they're going to get rid of warnings versus alerts and go to a four-level tier, system. A tier system, yeah. system, more like the Makes like red, sense. orange, yeah. yellow, or whatever. Yeah, that's more
4: helpful. Like way more helpful. Um, but given the region in the Middle East that Jordan's in, um, it is— you know really quite stable and it's this sort of peaceful enclave that you can go visit and you can go and see unbelievable feats of architecture that date back to the f- as far back as like the fourth century i mean you see like bc and ad thrown about when it just dis- dates buildings there so that kind of gives an idea of how old some of these things are but there was a time when people would go to syria to see those things and now that's not possible.
2: Yeah I think it's really sad to think about like you know those those incredible you know ancient monuments that existed in Iraq and Syria but that really no longer exists there okay. and that you wouldn't be able to visit anyway even if they did exist um, and so to be able to get to see all of that in a country that is stable and is kind of functions in a way that works for Western tourists
4: well, makes it worth it. Well and its uh, visitor numbers have in the last few years, which is terrible for Jordan, um, but does mean that if you go visit some of these sites in Petra, you have them to yourself. I mean, you see pictures of them, and there's just a scattering of people walking around, visiting them, Um, and you know, we had our regular contributor, Cynthia Drescher, who's been to just about every corner of the world. Um, She was there just a few weeks ago, and was raving about it, and couldn't say enough things about how much she loved it and i think how safe she felt there and um what a beautiful country it was plus from what i've heard the food is baller so <laughs> that alone
1: do you know if she did the jordan trail did she do that hike There's i'm not sure like an epic 400 mile hike. yeah so one of our contributors jen murphy she
3: did do that hike she uh, yeah okay. it just opened uh, it opened officially i think in july or I think maybe they try it. We're trialing it in July and open in September. Anyway, it's very new. Uh, she said it was excellent, and it goes through these. But basically, what it is is it connects. Um, it turns a lot of the historical corners of Jordan into a walkable. Path, essentially, a walkable trail. You can hop on, hop off, uh, including Petra. And um, she just said it was an amazing piece of infrastructure. And it's obviously a great thing for tourism and and a great way for travelers to see the country and get out of Amman, the big city. And along the way, there are these great new, like, luxury camping sites that they've set up, you know, a la these collective retreats and the the sort of glamping thing that's, that's become trendy everywhere. So yeah, I mean they're like definitely go and Jordan Tourism Board is 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 making it easier.
0: The thing that I that I think people may not realize is in Jordan that they've seen before in films and things like that are the Nabataean architecture which is buildings carved into sandstone mm. rocks and cliffs, um temples and other sort of ancient municipal buildings. And these things, to me, are among the most remarkable things I've ever seen. Obviously, I haven't been there, and this is why one of the reasons why I want to go. And Petra has some of the best examples of this right. in the, the world.
1: They're the Indiana Jones buildings.
0: Yeah, we? yeah, literally like buildings that look like. You know buildings you would see um freestanding in other parts of the world and they're carved into the side of a rock it's really yeah remarkable. it looks really
3: remarkable
4: which is this also it's like a very unique sort of pink rock color yeah, yeah mm-hmm. it's this yeah. amazing the color Red
3: city or some do they or is that Marrakesh they call red city i think they call Petra the red city
4: i don't know it's red, like pink <laughs>
3: yeah. is it millennial pink now i don't know is it the original millennial pink? <laughs> they've updated it's now the millennial
4: pink city <laughs>
3: <laughs> well
1: I just laughed at our own joke. <laughs> no, don't cut that. Off.
4: I think I saw someone on Twitter once complain that we laugh too much at our own jokes. You are having too <laughs> much. Someone has fun. To laugh. Calm down. <laughs> we'll be so serious from here you on You guys
2: out. Am, they must not have heard Sebastian's whale joke because it well, a few episodes back was a highlight <laughs> of
4: my life. That was I
0: should have made the annual highlights <laughs> I like I mentioned at the beginning. Oh,
4: you do a highlights real. Yeah. <laughs> well, um, a, a, just one last thing on Petra and Jordan is to get to Petra, you drive through a lot of desert, and I saw a report the other day that was saying that I th- deserts have become one of the most pinned things this year, and it's this, again, it's like this. Gr- You're referring a growing to Pinterest. Interest. I am. Pinterest exists. <laughs> Pinterest. still. It's still there, and the people that still have their accounts are pinning deserts. <laughs>
1: Wow, more than beaches, more than, I don't know, skylines and sunsets and things? I think a
4: lot of
2: it is, though, the the photographs you get in the desert, you can't get on the beach. Like, you can't get those incredible sweeping Sweeping, photos, like, Mm. you know, on Long Island that you could get, like, in the Namibian desert. Like, you just can't, like, you can't get the
1: same Openness. I mean, admittedly, it's one of the like the remote. Yeah, 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 exactly. We have a photo of my husband in the Gobi Desert, framed in our apartment. So I am. I guess that's the original <laughs> pinning was taking a photo and framing <laughs> it, framing it, <laughs> hanging hanging it, printing it out, <laughs> out <laughs> taking it to
0: a photo lab, pinning
1: it to an actual wall. Yeah, there's there is a pin
4: involved.
0: <laughs> to be honest, Lale, I'm gonna keep you on the on mm-hmm. the hot seat because uh, I know you went here recently, Guadalajara.
4: Yes. What Tell a us about Guadalajara. Wonderful surprise. I. Fell in love with Guadalajara, and given I was only there for a few days, and actually it was a week after the massive earthquake in Mexico City, um, and down to Oaxaca, right? Did it like yeah. kind of rocked
1: a large part of the country?
4: Yeah, and Guadalajara was intact, um, but I will, you know, obviously when something like that happens in a country, the whole nation is. Um, you know, feels the effects in some way. And people were, I think, pretty, you know, unsettled by the whole experience And, and a lot of people I met there obviously have friends or family in Mexico City. But this is all to say that I was there a week after it happened and I had a wonderful time. People were so happy to have me there in Mexico. And please, please, please go to Mexico and do not let the fact that there were those two dire earthquakes put you off going. It's the birthplace
0: of tequila, right? Mm -hmm. Yes. Jalisco.
4: I drank a lot of tequila. You also had
1: photos of what looked like the most amazing meat. Oh my God. Like I wanted to go just to eat that. Yeah, what was that?
4: So, Guadalajara has a really, really great um, food scene, great art and design scene too, great cocktail scene, all the ingredients you need for, you know, a big, growing, brilliant city. And yeah, I went to this restaurant called Hueso, which means bone. It's in this sort of 20th century Art Deco cream house, of which there's a lot in Guadalajara. You wouldn't know what was behind these walls, and then you go inside, and it is covered in artifacts and bones. It's like the most
2: like monochromatic Tim Burton. It's like so beautiful. Yeah. This I like was looking at pictures because I saw all his Instagram, and immediately was like, okay, cool. So I'm gonna go
4: there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And um, it has you know part of it where the bar is the Roof opens opens up into to the sky because the weather there is always super temperate um, and relatively dry. You know, I was there in September, but even in December, January, I don't think it ever really goes below the sixties. So, how do you get there? Do you go through Mexico City and then? Uh, so I jaunt flew out? via Dallas. So I think if you're coming from the east coast, uh, usually you'll connect somewhere Te- else. Somewhere in, else in, in the, the US. US. Okay, uh, but you know, if you're already down in Texas, it's a three hour or so flight there. Does it have an international airport? Yes. Okay. And I think it's, it's the second biggest city yeah, after it's a big Mexico city. city. All right, it's then big. strike that. Sorry, Guadalajara. <laughs> <laughs> um, And yeah, it's a young city. It was just super cool. Had like a really great feel to it. And you know, what I did on this trip was then tacked on a night in tequila, which is, which is an actual an place. An actual place. Oh, I did not know that. Is the birthplace of tequila. Um, mm. It's an hour's drive. Uh, the landscape's incredible. It's covered in all the agave fields, which give it this really amazing, like dusty bluish hue. Um, it's very volcanic, which is why it, the, it's so verdant, and they can grow so much agave there. And there's a dormant volcano mm. on the horizon. Um, it's yeah, it's really spectacular and. Um the town of Tequila itself is a UNESCO town. It's super tiny. It's very touristy. Um I don't think you would necessarily go there for any reason other than I'm going to go and taste tequila. And um there's you know a bunch of different distilleries there. Um there's La Herencia which is 200 years old. I think it's maybe the first one. Which is sort of the main one that you can visit. Um they organize trips out into the fields, tastings, And I also just, like, learned to really appreciate tequila in a way I hadn't before. Firstly, you don't have to shoot it. (laughs) You can sip it. Um, Every 20-year-old out there. Yeah. Yeah, But you can still drink a lot of it, which is great. (laughs) Um, Yeah. Oh, such a special place. I couldn't tell people to go there enough. I loved it.
0: All right. Let's go south a little bit. Quito. Ecuador.
4: Oh, I love Quito. You went too, right, Mary? I have
2: been and I actually I just like love Ecuador. I feel like people there are so lovely. Quito is a place that, you know, you can go and you can see incredible art and you can see these like beautiful buildings. Um and it just it's not I I feel like South America as an entire continent is so underrated as a place to go for North Americans and I feel like we're just like people are just catching, like the average person is just catching on that they should like go to Quito for like four days, or, or like I, I go feel, I, I, generally like go to Lima and like go on a short vacation. You don't have to spend two weeks like doing well, all of Argentina
1: or doing like all of Brazil. Like you can mm-hmm. get to somewhere that's closer. To the U.S. That's the thing that like the trips we might take to Santiago or Buenos Aires. Those are far from a lot of the destinations in major cities in the U.S. Right? It's like a 16-hour flight. Mm-hmm. But to get to Quito, I think I think I passed through Panama City. Maybe it wasn't that long a flight. And and flights are really
2: relatively inexpensive. I would say you can most of the time find a flight that's in the 400s from the like from New York, which mm-hmm. I think is is incredible because that's how much it costs to get to like San Francisco.
3: And another point is that you're traveling south, so you think it's far, and it is kind of far, but there's no jet lag because there's no time difference. Or there's an hour time difference. So it's actually a much easier thing to pull off in four days.
1: There's an incredible number of American expats who live in Quito now. And it was actually the original UNESCO Heritage City. So it's celebrating its 40th anniversary of that designation in 2018. So what does that mean? There might be some celebrations, but th- there are a few interesting things happening in Old Town. There's this cathedral. I'm going to try to get the name right. C- cathedral Metropolitan de Quito.
0: All right. Cathedral metipro- Metropolitana de Quito.
1: There you go. He just added <laughs> what I couldn't do. <laughs> so there's you're going to have access to this, like, secret passageway up to the top of it. That sounds so cool. Starting in 2018, I know, and like friars and What was the secret passageway used for? And Does it have some sinister past? So it no. just goes up to the roof. And I
3: don't it's think in that Dan Brown's, Brown's next
0: book. Because <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> <laughs> like
3: you, you have things like that when you go to like Palermo and Sicily, and they all have yes. a story attached. Right, no very The
1: friars of this place will probably tell you, yeah. I mean, I'm way too claustrophobic to do it, but I still want to do it, you know? Well, but because, I'm curious. Right? right.
2: But there are so many parts of Quito that will give you these incredible views of the city, and this is the next one uh, to be able to do that. You can take like the um, funicular up, what is that? It's a cable car, um, up to the top of... The mountain that overlooks Quito, and you can, mm-hmm. you know, go uh, in Old Town. There are like a lot of rooftop bars that you can go to as well. But I
1: feel like this is kind of like the coolest way to see everything. It's so romantic. There's something about like, yeah, Erin, you're raising your hand. <laughs> I <laughs> have a question, pond, but podcast. please finish your point. <laughs> well, no, um, Old Town particularly is very romantic. It has almost like a, a Renaissance feel to it. It's one of the oldest colonial cities or colonial centers in South America, and um, I mean. Yes, it, parts of keto are harder. There, uh, it, it feels a little more dangerous. I'm not going to sugarcoat it. Like keto isn't blissful, but like it, you can also eat um, koi, which is their local dish, which is guinea pig. I don't mm-hmm. recommend it. It's really stringy, but it is a beautiful old town to walk around. The you got to cook it a long time. You got it a long time. It's up in the. Andes. It's you take that funicular and you're in the clouds. It's I, I gotta stunning. tell you guys.
0: Like I, I've noticed now, there's a theme, and and I think you you secretly you all secretly put this in. We have many places that have a, a volcano active or <laughs> inactive close by. We are a little addicted. Keto.
1: We did a story about why people seek out volcanoes. Yeah,
0: what's going on with that? We got a volcano loving crew here. We do because. I don't know, they could kill you? I have no idea. Yeah. <laughs> Aaron, but I think,
2: they, I think they lend themselves to these like incredibly striking landscapes that you don't get to see anywhere else with just a mountain.
0: Aaron, do you have a question about volcanoes?
3: A, <laughs> n- not about <laughs> volcanoes, but about Quito. I'd like to know if you guys were going to suggest Quito as the alternative to maybe another South American city that might be more
1: well-traveled at this point. How? What would you compare it to? Is it like the next Cartagena, or what is it? Well, What's the feel? I don't know. I haven't been to Colombia yet. But the reason I went to Quito in the first place was my husband and I hadn't been to South America ever. We wanted to cross it off our list when we felt like we were slightly more adventurous travelers than new parents are. And it was an easy flight. It was near the Amazon. So it's also an entry point if you want to do an Amazon rainforest trek. because people think that you have to go to Brazil to do that, mm-hmm. or you have to like, you have to go down to not to do the Amazon, but down to Peru to do Machu Picchu and that mm-hmm. kind of adventure. But this was an alternative that was much much closer. So, and Quito is very navigable. You have to get used to the altitude, and altitude sickness is a real problem if you go there. I remember having a crazy migraine the first thirty six hours I was there, but you adapt and you you move on. Um, I don't know. I stayed at this amazing biodiversity camp that I can't remember the name off, off the top of my head because this was a few years ago but uh, it was maybe like a two hour flight mm-hmm. into the jungle and then you get on a speedboat, and then you get in a dugout canoe and then you stay in a camp trains, in the trains Amazon. Trains, trains, automobiles. I, mean, it's amazing. I think cool.
2: that for a lot of people Ecuador has always just been the Galapagos and that's been like the accessible mm-hmm. version of, sure. of Ecuador. Um but I think that there is reason to go to Quito and just go to Quito and go to the Galapagos later or if you've already gone to the Galapagos, like actually invest time in going to Quito. But I don't know if there is another city in my mind that it is compared to because it's not as like industrially urban as Santiago. It's like not as easy as Buenos Aires. Um it's not or as beautiful. huge. As Rio, like there's not really like I can't think of another city that is mm-hmm. like it because maybe like La Paz, yeah, maybe it's mm.
1: it's easy, it's convenient, mm-hmm. it's um,
2: but palatable. it still has like grit and like right. definitely isn't super developed, right.
0: Yeah. It looks a little bit to me in the pictures and the mountainous terrain reminds me of some of the places in like Chiapas, like San Cristobal mm, or something mm, like that, mm-hmm. where you're where you're kind of like very colonial, the very colonial, well yeah. preserved but you're up in the mountains. Yes, absolutely. No volcanoes, as far as I know, near San Cristobal. But mm-hmm. um, okay, let's shift radically before we depart Accra, Ghana.
2: Ooh. So I was talking to Aaron about this before this started, and I was kind of really excited and confused a little bit to see this on the list this year because I went to Accra when I was 20. I was on semester at sea. It was one of the stops. It was right after we had gone to Morocco. I had planned this huge trip in Morocco and I hadn't had time to plan to do something in Ghana and I want to go back now so badly because I feel like 20 year old me didn't like it was very overwhelming and I didn't know what to do but I feel like there's more infrastructure now than there was to be able to like do it Feasibly and not for you like I did.
3: There's more infrastructure now, but there's also like Accra's kind of become like the default capital of Western African modern culture in a sense too. Um, they have really great uh, designers coming out of Accra. I, I I I might I might be misspeaking, but I believe. There's a designer, a label called Christy Brown, who was dressing Beyonce. Um, I think Michelle Obama, don't quote me, might have even been dressed by this label. Uh, they've got a big expat scene. They've got French and Lebanese tastemakers going in there and opening up restaurants and uh, you know designer boutiques and these cool sort of concept stores that you might expect to see or that you don't expect to see in Africa, especially in West Africa. So there is a little bit of momentum in terms of making a modern face of Western Africa happening in Accra, and I think that's what's really exciting about it. It's like you can have this really interesting city experience and not feel like you, you know, you have to default to the Nairobi's or the Cape Towns of Africa. And you know, you can get a direct flight in. I think it's seven hours on Delta from JFK. Uh, it's not, it's not that difficult. Um, you know, one of the world's top architects, he's from Ghana, um, David Adjaye, who did the African American Museum, the Smithsonian oh, right. African American Museum. Um, I believe this hasn't been announced yet, but I believe, you know, he's, I think he's, hot and ready to do a few projects actually in Accra. So there's a lot happening there, and it's really sort of got this great momentum going forward. So I think that's a lo- all those reasons are sort of why it's on the list this year. It, it was,
0: feels like Cool Kids Town. Like it it's is. Emerging. Exactly, it's, like, it, like, yeah. It's, like there's a of there's like Kampinsky. where the Cool Kids of West Africa are. Yeah, there's like the global club people are headed there now, opening up new places. There's a lot of restaurant activity. It
1: was one of the few places that multiple people in our office were recommending, independent of anything. They came to the meeting and were like, Go to Accra, and Mark Elwood, who's a regular contributor, he likened it to Saint Tropez or Ibiza in Africa, and African cities can turn over like that, right? You know, they just they need the infrastructure, they double down on tourism. Like, I don't know, I feel like we were talking about Addis Ababa in Ethiopia in the same way, where it just if there's enough money going in there and enough infrastructure and enough development happening, you're in good shape.
2: Um, and enough Ghanaians and Ethiopians who are incredibly invested mm-hmm. or people who are coming from outside who have already fallen in love, who are expats, who are living there and spending time and investing their money and like livelihoods in those cities, I think it's exactly that. They're turning over so quickly and creating a name for themselves mm-hmm. like we haven't seen.
0: Okay, another one that's kind of out of left field, but we talked about this a lot, Chengdu in China.
2: The one of my favorite stories from the magazine this year mm-hmm. is this story um, about like all of the super spicy peppers that they use.
3: Oh yeah, the Sichuan. Yeah. Yeah, we're I mean it was spicy food in China.
2: It's the photos are absolutely mm-hmm. incredible, so you should check it out on the site. Um, but I know again, like that was another place where a lot of people were there this
3: year. And it comes back to Laura's point at the beginning of the podcast, like openings. They have a great new hotel opening in Chengdu. Uh, the Temple House is there, so it's bringing a lot of people in. Uh, you, you, I think one of the biggest reasons why people would want to go is the Pandas. Right. That, Panda Central. Yeah, it's Panda Central. Um, there's new flights going in from JFK uh, that just launched in October. So, yeah, it has that like critical mass of tourism support that's bringing people there at the moment.
0: It sounds like H- Hainan's got a new... Uh, flight that's direct from JFK. So yeah, that's going to open a lot start of in doors. October. And it sounds like, you know, if you are going to go to to um, Sichuan, like this is the place to go in terms of the food that you can get there. And it's I like the best example. And people
3: are just ready to get off the sort of Beijing, Forbidden City, Shanghai route in China and start exploring elsewhere. And this lets you do that.
0: Yeah, okay, last place I wanted to ask you guys about, because like we probably need to wrap before we can talk about everything, mm-hmm. although we can certainly try if you want, um, is Georgia, which I feel like keeps coming up again and again and again this year.
1: Oh, yeah. And well, guess what, we're not talking about Yeah, I'm not talking
3: American. about the Peachtree state, Georgia. y'all.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> this is, where, where are
0: we going?
3: Yeah, this is Georgia the country, uh, <laughs> that's in the Caucasus. mountain. Former, Mountains.
0: former USSR. Former
3: USSR, birthplace of Stalin. Um, and for a few years, people. Fun
1: fact. Yeah, and for saw. a few years, people.
3: <laughs> for a few years, people have been talking about it. And you know, Tbilisi, which is the capital city, has been really hot for a while now. They have Rooms Hotel, which opened there a few years ago, which brought people in. They've got a great food scene. I think one of the former chefs of Eleven Madison Park has opened a restaurant there, uh, who is American with a Georgian girlfriend, I believe. Um, but now, you know, there's so much happening. There's all these developments. Now people are actually not just going to Tbilisi, they're going to Georgia. And they're going to these great wine districts. And they're going to um, these the, these regions where you have this, these amazing sort of home-style meals. We actually ran a piece in the magazine in October uh, talking about Yotam Ottolenghi and his right-hand woman, who's his sommelier and head wine buyer, Heidi um, Nudson nam or Nan Nutson, excuse me, I might have said
0: that. Excellent memory.
3: I know. Good. Um and you know, she said to me, you know, it's one of her favorite places. He loves going as well because they love their approach to food. And George's approach to food is very much how Yotamashalengi does his food and how we all want to eat now. It's all fresh, it's all very, very local. It's not pretentious. It's the opposite of pretentious. And you go around the country and you have these wonderful inns that welcome you with these amazing homestyle spreads, this
1: wonderful wine. And
3: What is the
0: amber wine? Can you explain the amber wine? You can
4: drink it in
1: Brooklyn and Barcelona, apparently, according to our article.
4: (laughs) Is it different from orange wine? I don't know. We don't. I I don't know. All right. There's a question (laughs) for for the for the
0: travelog listening audience. What is amber wine, and and have you had any great examples um, either in Georgia or in Brooklyn or Barcelona? (laughs) Because apparently they got it there too. I thought this was kind of remarkable and surprising that the world's earliest known evidence of winemaking has been uncovered. Six thousand years old. I think they are.
3: Yeah, winemaking started allegedly in Georgia.
0: So not the Middle East, not Northern Africa, not forget Italy. Your, forget like, Western you know, Europe. Yeah, yeah, like it's 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 over there. That's kind of amazing.
1: I think we're going to be talking about wine travel more in 2018. There are so many epicenters that aren't just the familiar, like you just said, but the, the rising scenes. Like this is a rising scene we will be checking out and looking into more. We will be exploring beyond uh, the winelands that we talk about in Ka- around Cape Town, you know, also up the West Coast. I, I feel like wine travel is something people ask us about a lot, so we'll be doubling down on that.
0: OK, let's do lightning round on the, on, there are only a couple left, because mm-hmm. um, we talked about most of them. There are 18 on this list, that's a lot. Um, Malta, we talked about a little bit. Um, Meredith, you mentioned that all of your friends all have of it my on their friends, Instagram. All of my friends but why, What are they digging? What
2: um, do they photograph? One okay, it is just a beautiful place. It's a island. Um, it is like this mashup of all of these different cultures because it's an island in the Mediterranean. It's between kind of pulls, Italy and Africa. Yeah, so it pulls like Sicilian and Northern African and like colonial England influences, and it's just like you know the capital is 450 years old. Like it is absolutely stunning. Um, they have a Baroque festival. They have great food. Uh, there's just like swimming and beaches, and it's like this perfect.
3: Mediterranean place that isn't crazy filled with Americans. And can I just say one thing? If you do go to Malta, I recommend go to Mdina, which is this um, the, one of the most beautiful towns I've ever seen. It's in the middle of the country, so it's off the coast, and it's an old Arabic town. It used to be the capital, and it is absolutely stunning. And very few people know about it. So oh, I like how people Mdina. are
0: talking faster since I said. Yeah. Light, light, light. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Eastern India, <laughs> Calcutta, and the Andaman Islands.
3: Oh yeah. Okay. So uh, this is like an alternate, which we get really excited about an alternate itinerary to. Uh, Uh, India, most people tend to go west where there's Rajasthan and there's Goa and there's Mumbai. Um, This is like the India trifecta where you're going to do your city break in Calcutta. Uh, Wonderful city, really known for its street food. You're going to then hop up really easily to the Himalayas and stay at um, the Shakti Ladakh properties, which are gorgeous glamping properties in the Himalayas.
0: You are not allowed to say properties on the podcast. Oh my goodness,
3: (laughs) I'm sorry. (laughs) Hotels, Uh, resorts, tents. It's a it's Tense? a great Yeah, it's it's glamping. It's like these amazing, wonderful tents where, you know, you want for nothing and it's very luxurious, you're hardly roughing it, do not consider it camping at all. Um, and you're going to round off the trip with your beach break, which this time will be in the Andaman Sea, just off the coast. Weekly flights go in from Calcutta, because the Taj is going to be opening there very, very soon. I think it's now slated to open in March. And you know, prior to the Taj opening, the Andamans was pretty much backpackers and divers. There was no hint of luxury or comfort there at all. So this kind of changes the the way you can do like a full, holistic India itinerary.
0: What's the best time of year to go? <laughs> not, Ooh, not, I stumped her. Not rainy season. Um, that is not easy to do. N- yeah,
3: I would say probably past March because November to March is the rainy season. Um, but then after that,
4: you're golden. Yeah. So, Sounds amazing. But would it be too hot midsummer? This is something I often wonder about planning trips. Well, to the
3: Himalayas. Yeah. I mean, I guess, you know, it's interesting because right. it's you're really,
2: you're really tapping different into different yeah. seasons. You're going to need a bigger bag to fit <laughs> all of the layers and bathing suits that you're going to pack. You're going to need trip. your winter coat and your
3: bikini.
0: <laughs> okay, northern Peru. Oh, my God
1: oh that's also Erin yeah. <laughs> sorry
3: <laughs> no it's good um, I get super excited about going into parts of countries which are real travel that people are not yet paying attention to Machu Picchu and Cusco and Lima are obviously places you should all visit they're amazing the ruins well, you're not going to be allowed
0: to Lima. visit Machu Picchu well yeah, yeah. Machu
3: Picchu is really restricting so you can you can, you can
2: visit but there are definitely a lot of restrictions and this kind of gives you an opportunity to not have is to it, deal with all that is it that. ticketed now yes and it's like you have to buy them uh, something like a year in advance you have to go with a tour it's just not going to be like a free for all anymore yeah. which we, yeah. for like an ancient city is probably,
1: probably not a bad thing. fair enough
3: frankly. You yeah. used to
1: take a bus there,
3: right? You still take a bus yeah, you there. You still take a bus there. You don't drive. Do you hike
1: there anymore? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. But in
3: any event if you st- if you want to see something different, northern Peru, which has uh, its capital or its anchor city, I should say, of um, this uh, city called Trujillo, um, which is this beautiful old Spanish colonial city, uh, sort of anchors this region, which is filled with some of the oldest and largest Ink and ruin cities in all of South America. Um, there are mummy museums and there's beautiful waterfalls. And there, it, it's tapping into all of these sort of adventurous travel motivations, for lack of a better word, for why you want to go to places like Peru or off the beaten path in Colombia, for example. Um, But nobody's going there yet. Red Savannah's launching tours for 2018, and it's like the ultimate, like this is what we sort of said in the office, sort of like the ultimate Like get their first bragging rights trip. And I I, I think it's gonna be like a a very, very exciting place to go for people who are already quite well-traveled.
0: Okay, last spot. Um, and one that I think is we, we've talked about before, but I think is particularly interesting is Addis Ababa. Am I saying that right?
3: No, Addis Ababa. Addis Ababa. Addis Ababa. I think it's the okay.
0: Thank you. So let's 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 revisit Addis Ababa for just a second. Lightning round.
2: Alex Postman, one of our editors, is one of the biggest uh, advocates of this city. If you want to hear all about her, I don't know, incredible experience there like a and, spiritual
1: journey that right, she had. Right. And in.
2: what, you know, what she did, you can go back and there's a podcast um, the Our Africa Issue podcast that we talked with her about that. Um, it's again a similar but in a different way from Accra, like finding itself becoming a place to go on its own. Um Italian-influenced, um, great coffee, a center point for kind of these very spiritual
1: hum- journeys you can go on. There's like a lot of Coptic Christianity yeah, there right. as well, humanity which is surprising. Born he like humanity born here. humanity. Yeah, like Lucy. You can go see Lucy at the mm-hmm. National Museum.
0: I feel like the historical route that's outside mm-hmm. that connects the the Ark of the Covenant, like is 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 mm-hmm. housed uh, there, da, da, at least theoretically. Da, da. Yeah. <laughs> Excellent. <Sorry>. Wow. <laughs> um, okay, musical. It got musical for a second, but the churches that she was talking about, um, that Alex was talking about with in uh, Lalibela, just sounded amazing. Kind of like the uh, a completely different version of of what Petra has. Right. Again, like um, these structures carved into the rocks. And they're still active. There are still practitioners who go there. And according to her description, it just sounds like a, a beautiful, beautiful thing to experience. All right, that's it. We did it. We got to all eighteen. Good job, you guys. How long Yay. did that take? How long oh, we took? Like hundred hours. It's the longest podcast ever. <laughs>
2: if you made it this far, like, congrats. Thank to you. You. Yeah,
0: you know, all eighteen are. You can complain known. about it on
1: Twitter. <laughs> it? Yeah, go and if,
0: ahead, and if you us.
3: happen to follow our advice and go to any of these places, definitely let us know.
0: Yeah, yeah. let
1: us know if yes. we're off our rocker. Or...
0: No, no, no. We're not off. <laughs> <now>. no, it <laughs> says rocker? No, no, no. I know that. Yeah, we're, we're good. We're good. Just tell us where you stayed. Tell us what you did. Let us know how cool it was um, and uh, how you were so happy to get there before your friends because you listened to Travelog. All right. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. We are on iTunes. We are on SoundCloud. Visit us at cntraveler.com where you can read um, all of these things and everything we have to say about them um, and, and, uh, and quite a bit more. Um, women who travel, if you're not subscribing to this right now, I've just had it with you. Right? It's just like, it's just, I don't know what to tell you.
4: Bratz all male ally, Yes.
2: <laughs> um, so our th- fourth episode will have come out this Monday, January 1st. Uh, it is all about the FOMO that comes from kind of this Instagram culture that we uh, live in now and how that's a good and bad thing um, for you as a traveler.
0: I want to give a plug for the third episode. Because th- where you guys talk to women in the restaurant business, women in the bar business, that was great. It was it went from hilarity to horror, <laughs> like, and I feel like that was just terrific, terrific episode.
4: It was an unintentionally uh, timely. Yeah, yeah. We, um, we had that planned for months, and it just happened that it, we recorded the same week that a running list of male restaurateurs. Um, the Mario Batali news the big orange crocs right <laughs>
0: yeah. but also like outside of all that the guests were great like the, the conversations that you guys had were terrific it was funny I thought the, ho- the whole first beginning was hilarious so give those a listen did you guys do like a mid season finale
2: um, no because this our fourth episode will be mid season. we're going to be running this season through the end of January and then you'll hear us again in March
0: okay so you're taking a month off God, month off. Love that.
1: (laughs) We don't don't give you that break, Brad. (laughs) Where do we find these things, these glorious podcasts?
0: You can find Women Who Travel also on iTunes and on SoundCloud. You guys are on both, right? Correct. Mm -hmm. You can find us wherever you listen to Travelog. Yeah, everywhere. Um, Once it gets on iTunes, it's everywhere. So, you know, Pocket Cast, Stitcher. Um, But really, you need to listen to this. These guys are doing a great job, um, and the stuff is fascinating. Also, we are Condé Nast Traveler on Facebook and YouTube, CN Traveler on Instagram, Twitter, and I keep saying it because I feel like I have to, Snapchat. We're Um, still on Snapchat. Are we updating Snapchat? Snapchat? I I, I should be able to answer that question. (laughs) (laughs) Site director? It's like, (laughs) who's in charge of the Snapchat? (laughs) (laughs)
4: Snapchat's (laughs) gone rogue.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Brett's in charge of Snapchat. (laughs) Brett, what are we doing on Snapchat? (laughs) 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 Fred's <laughs> <laughs> baby on Snapchat
1: just all the new Condé babies on Snapchat
0: that that would be amazing that would be the most popular Snapchat ever
1: yeah look for that content
2: coming in 2018 (laughs) guys
0: Traveler Baby Snapchat Uh, please tweet at us we really would love to hear where are you going where are you excited to go in 2018 what did we miss what is your sort of on your list that we did not cover Um, and uh, if you've been to the places that we talked about today let us know how it was let us know what your recommendations would be we would love to hear that stuff. We will retweet you. Um send us feedback, review us on iTunes. Laura, how can the folk get in touch with you?
1: I am at Laura underscore redmond on Instagram and Danon eight two five on Twitter.
0: Are they going to see lots of pictures of Haley?
1: Yes. Sorry. <laughs> Don't travel <apologize>. Traveling <laughs> Haley. Yeah, she's adorable. Traveling Haley. She's she's she adorable. went to Paris. She's living it
0: up (laughs) traveling babies
2: uh you can find me meredith carey at oh hey there mayor
0: on instagram
4: and twitter lale you can find me at lale hannah on instagram you can find me aaron underscore florio on instagram
0: brett where can people find you man (laughs) com. i'm at bradrick have a great weekend and happy new year again everyone